Hi everyone, this is Carmen. I'm Christina. And this is Historias Unknown, a podcast where we talk about Latin American history. Sometimes it's horrible, dealing with heavy topics like racism, corruption, and genocide. But more than that, it's also about resistance, power, and community. Which one is it going to be today, Carmen? A little bit of everything. Okay. Um, I'm excited. I have no idea what uh, what you're talking about. Okay. Also, just a warning, if you hear little kid music, it's me. <laughs> My child, not me, but yeah. Yeah. So last week we talked about the sanctuary movement, right? So I was like dead set on finding some horrible story about the church being oppressive and just, you know, terrible. Oh, because I feel like I gave them too much credit, which was merited, of course, because it was a I really mean, good movement. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it was their movement. I don't know how. I just never want to come off as, you know. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> like I'm you're giving right. the church, you know, too much too credit. Too much credit yeah. because, you know, historically, presently, they're horrible. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Remember we said not all churches? Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying capital C, the church. <laughs> But instead, I learned about possibly the coolest priest ever. <laughs> Aside from Oscar Romero. Mm, yeah, I mean, he was kind of like him in a sense. Okay. So Camilo Torres Destrepo was a Catholic priest, sociologist, and a guerrilla. Oh. A member of the uh, National Liberation Army who defied and condemned the church in Colombia. And, you know, I feel like we don't talk about Colombia enough. Yeah, I was about to ask, where is this taking place? Because yeah. I was Im- immediately going to assume El Salvador for some reason. Not everything is about El Salvador, Christina. Sorry, I'm just obsessed. <laughs> so Camilo was born on February 3rd, 1929 in Bogota in a well-to-do family. His family was upper class, but not super wealthy like others. His dad was a doctor and his mom, I don't know. I mean, she was also from a well-to-do family, but I couldn't find anything about her. Oh, okay. There wasn't that much about his childhood. So I did learn that at one point when he was an infant, his family moved to Europe for a few years. And then after a few years after returning, I said that hella weird. You did. Re-say it. They moved to Europe and lived there for a few years. Then they came back to Colombia. And after a few years of being back in Colombia, his parents divorced. So, I mean, I mean, that's pretty well to do if you can just travel to Europe and live there and then come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he was raised by his mother's side of the family. His brother became a doctor, just like uh, their father. And then his sister. And I wrote her name only because she was the first woman in Colombia to pursue a university degree, apparently. Oh, my God. This is just like a historic yeah, a yeah. family that just makes history, apparently. And her name was Herda Westendorp Restrepo. I don't know. That interesting second last name sounds very European. <laughs> Maybe she got married. No, or maybe, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because it did say she was a half-sibling from the mom's first marriage, so. Okay, yeah, that could be just her dad's last name. Yeah. Camilo first attended the Colegio Mayor de Nuestra Señora del Rosario. Love that name. Yeah. Uh, But he was expelled for criticizing the teachers. Um, (laughs) And then he went on to finish his bachelor's degree at the Liceo de Cervantes. And then he began pursuing a law degree, but he left to become a priest. Wow. Yeah. So Camilo decided to pursue priesthood after being influenced by the ideologies of two French Dominican priests, Neely and Blanquet or Blanchet. I don't know. 
Blanchet, Blanchette? Maybe, but it doesn't have two T's. <laughs> and he met them through his girlfriend's family, and she was from a prestigious Bogota family also. Okay. At that time in Europe, progressive social Catholicism was taken off, and this is what attracted Camilo to the priesthood. Um, so he left for a bit to meditate and think over his future plans. And when he returned, he broke up with his girlfriend. <laughs> okay. And entered the Conciliar Seminary of Bogota of the Archdiocese of Bogota. Sorry, I thought I said the full name and then I realized I hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> and he remained there for seven years, you know, becoming a priest. And here he started radicalizing a bit because he became more aware about the social realities of the country. Mm -hmm. He began paying attention to poverty and social injustice. Injustice, And along with another disciple, he created a social studies circle that functioned even after Camilo left that seminary and was ordained a priest. And then at his time there, he also started like different like social activities and around the neighborhood to just help the families there, many of which had been displaced mm -hmm. from something I'll talk about in a bit. After being ordained, Camilo studied sociology at the Catholic University of Louvain in Belgium. <laughs> I don't know wow. how to pronounce it. While he was there, he founded the Equipo Colombiano de Investigación Socioeconomica. Oh, I thought I wrote down the name in English. <laughs> mm, uh, the like Colombian... a Colombian team of socioeconomic investigation. Yeah. Uh, with, on the spot. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with other Colombian students. And then here he also learned about Christian democracy and he came into contact with a Christian trade union movement and Algerian or is that how you say it? Do you know? Is it Algeria or Algeria? I don't know. Algeria. Okay. Um, and Algerian resistance groups in Paris, which apparently there was like something going on over there. But I don't know about, I don't know about Europe. <laughs> what year are we in? Because that will help narrow down what's going on in Europe. I know that something had, someone had taken over Paris and, or tried to, and that's what the resistance was about. Okay. It's not, we're not like in the 1940s right now. Uh, it's, it's like the 1950s, I want to say. 50s? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Whatever, we're not here to talk about Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Something was happening, though. That's all we know. Either way, yeah, he came across, like, uh, these social movements in Europe. And coming across these resistance groups, of course, only further radicalized him. And he graduated from the Louvain with a sociology doctorate. And his thesis was titled, Una aproximación estadística a la realidad socioeconómica de Bogotá. And that roughly translates to like statistics about the socioeconomic reality of Bogota. So when Camilo returned to Bogota, he felt called to actively support the causes of the poor and working class. Upon his return, he was appointed as a chaplain for the National University of Colombia. And the following year, he and others established the first sociology department in his university. And this was also the first sociology department in all of Latin America. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> And then he became a sociology professor in the university, where he also helped create a couple of organizations that worked to decentralize political power and to empower grassroots organizations and communities. Through these organizations, which were um, composed or which composed of teachers and students, Camilo worked with working class neighborhoods to carry out community action programs. And did I write the year down? God damn it. Okay, he came back. <laughs> 
He came back to Colombia in 1959. I don't remember if I said that or not. No. Um, so. And that's from Belgium or France. Mm, yeah. So he came back. Camilo came back to Colombia in 1959. And when he returned to Colombia after being in Europe for like seven-ish years, the 10-year civil war known as La Violencia had just ended. And this was from 1948 to 1958. Mm. And just to get into it uh, very briefly, just to give us what Ill, what the period looked like when he returned. This was a 10-year civil war known as La Violencia. The war was fought mainly in rural areas in the countryside, as it happens typically, right? Yeah. La Violencia is considered to have started with the assassination of Jorge Elicer Gaitan, a Liberal Party presidential candidate. After his murder, people rioted for 10 hours and 5,000 people lost their lives. Wow. This is known as the Bogotazo rioting. Oh, we should cover that too. Yeah. Add that to the list of things I don't know about. (laughs) That's why we're only briefly touching on it. So rural town police and political leaders then encourage conservatives supporting. And they use peasants a lot to describe the rural people. So uh, do they mean campesinos then? Yeah, they mean campesinos and like indigenous people that lived in the rural areas, rural workers, things like that. So should I keep saying peasants or should I say campesinos? Because all over they say peasants. I would say campesinos or rural okay. I'll say- workers. I mean, because it's like villagers as well, you know what I mean? So the rural town police and political leaders then encouraged conservative supporting campesinos to seize the lands of liberal supporting campesinos, which led Mm. to campesino to campesino violence throughout Colombia. It's estimated that at least 200,000 to 300,000 people died during this period known as La Violencia. Along with casualties, many families, about one million people, were also displaced. And during the war, the Catholic Church authorities supported the conservatives. Oh. This was also a time of widespread persecution of liberals and manipulated elections so that conservatives could maintain power. Of course. This time period was called La Violencia, not only because of how many people were killed or injured, but because of the horrible Truly horrible methods of torture that were used during this time. Oh. I read very briefly about them and I was like, what the fuck? So I'm not going to describe them <laughs> here. It was truly horrifying. But I k- kind of want to know. Um, I mean, like the various forms of torture that were horrible that were used, like earned nicknames um, because of like these methods, like just how awful they were. Um, oh. I, I want to say one was like El Machetazo. Um, oh my god okay different names different things but i remember reading about trigger warning for extreme violence and i and it didn't say who was doing what so i don't know like you know what side was doing this responsible yeah Yeah. um but um pregnant women's stomachs were ripped open with knives to take out the uh yeah and then they would put something inside instead i don't remember what it was oh my god as if ripping a stomach open wasn't enough yeah that's wild like stabbing with a bunch of things all at once like all over oh my god horrible things yeah okay i've heard enough (laughs) i'm telling you (laughs) but you insisted i regret asking (laughs) i did 
And so, yeah, I mean, that's why it earned this name. So as an end to this tumultuous period, the key parties of the Colombian oligarchy made a pact to take turns holding the presidency and to distribute all bureaucratic and cabinet positions throughout the two parties, conservative and liberal. Yeah, so that they agreed like everything would be split up and they would take turns basically holding power. But really, this only consolidated power among the elites and the oligarchy. Um, and so that's kind of what was going on when Camilo returned and this consolidation of power among the elites was what happened like after his return, basically, and mm -hmm. what people were fighting after the civil war ended. <sighs> okay, so Camilo continued his sociology research and presented studies like La Violencia y los Cambios Socioculturales en las Areas Rurales Colombianas, or Violence and Sociocultural Changes in Rural Areas of Colombia. He went on to be a board member of various committees, like the Colombian Institute of Agrarian Reform. Basically, like of the agrarian reform is like the farm workers, you know, like the rural workers and stuff like that. Yeah. And he was like the most left-leaning member of that, com of those committees he participated in. And he often fought for the rights of the rural people and often bumped heads with conservative members of groups over land ownership issues. This led to conservatives writing to the cardinal to request that Camilo be dismissed from the board. But I don't think that happened because he continued to oh. like work in this way through different committees and stuff. Because of his work, Camilo was invited to speak in Lima, Peru, where he gave lectures about agrarian reform and social change and called for mo the mobilization of progressives. Camilo also gained popularity with the working class because he was one of the first priests to offer a forward-facing mass in Spanish. Forward-facing? Yeah. And so then I read that before that, mass was always in Latin and facing backwards. But I, it wasn't clear to me if that means... And I heard about this in other places and I don't remember where. Wow. I did not know this. Does this mean that the masses were... Their backs were facing the priest or that the... I don't know. Priest was back was facing them um i don't know <laughs> i guess in the end someone's back is facing someone else yeah yeah and this okay. was in 1962 I had no idea yeah and i just yeah i didn't know like who was facing where but apparently this was a thing i did remember that did you look it up no i didn't like look it up i didn't have time oh okay but yeah, i do remember that mass used to be in latin and nobody knew what the hell you know anything meant <laughs> The priest did not face the people. Oh, so the priest faced the okay. apse. What the hell is the apse? I think it's the, like it's the altar. It's the stuff like the, yeah. Yeah. So the thing that's, okay. So yeah, the the priest's back was facing everyone else. Yeah. And so people loved him. The working class loved him because he was like, I'm going to face you like an equal, like, like you know. And I'm going to speak your language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Camilo was later forced to resign from all of his duties and roles at the university because while holding mass, he honored students that were killed by the national police after a protest. And I wanted to look more into this, but I sadly did not have time. He was also demoted to an assistant priest. He could only do confessions and, confessions and baptism certificate related things. Like uh -huh. they made him no longer be able to do mass. Wow. Yeah, he later worked um, as a professor and a dean of sociology at another university and continued his community and political work through different organizations. 
but he was beginning to feel this was not enough to help uh, cause real change. He, like many others in Latin America, were influenced by the Cuban Revolution, and he was beginning to come in contact with the Colombian Communist Party because he had tried to act as a mediator between the members, you know, of the national, sorry, you know, the members of the Communist Party, um, the guerrillas and the National mm-hmm. Army to prevent an attack on the Marquetalia Republic, which was an enclave in rural Colombia, which communist... Oh, oh my God, I'm sorry. Like, I'm confusing myself with my notes. This was like an enclave because after the civil war was like over, it wasn't really over, right? Because people continued. Yeah. Like the struggles, the same issues that led to it kept happening, right? So yeah, a lot of the guerrillas that had been fighting were pushed out to the rural like areas and maintain those areas as like these are ours like we have power here you know what i mean like their own yeah states sort of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's what they mean by that enclave and that's what the marquetalia republic was and the national army was about to go attack it and then he tried to act as a mediator okay to prevent an attack but it didn't work and they still Uh attacked it (laughs) Oh. So, but that's how he started coming into contact with the Colombian Communist Party. Okay. Okay. And so, like many all over Latin America, Camilo first learned about the concept of anti imperialism after the US attempted to overthrow the Cuban regime. At that time, Camilo identified as a progressive Catholic and he often spoke about poverty and the unstable political situation in the country. Camilo became even more radicalized during this time, and he argued that the Catholic Church is or should be devoted to charity and fighting social equality. Yeah. But that a total change of power structure was needed in order for the church to truly realize the concept of Christian charity. Camilo began adopting Marxist communist beliefs because he believed that the Marxists were at the forefront of fighting to change structural power. And so he started to collaborate with Marxists and he admired admired socialists for fighting for a better society and believed that Catholics should support their efforts. He once said, historically, there was only one mistake the Christian could make to refuse to act. Okay. Yeah. So unfortunately, the Catholic Church did not agree (laughs) with Camilo's social activism. Of course they didn't. Yeah. Or with his work with the Marxists. And there was even writings that the Pope back then published about like it's anti-Catholic to work with Marxists because a lot of Marxists were atheists. And um, I didn't really write about it, but I did read about it. Like Camilo, he didn't identify as a Marxist because of the... They were atheists. Yeah. Okay. Um, But he still believed like in the same beliefs. Um, And then that's why he chose to call himself like a Catholic progressive or something like that. Okay. Did he ever use the term liberation theology? Because... Yeah, he is actually one of the founders of that. (laughs) Okay, okay. This makes so much sense. I didn't fully... Were you going to say that at some point or no? But no, like I should have, and I didn't write it down. Oh my God. But like everything he said, it's like the beginnings of that movement. That's what I was wondering if it had already begun or if now this makes sense. And again, thinking about the time frame that we're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it called? Liberation theology? You s- yeah, right. Yeah, I actually came across him because, of course, I was like trying to look up like, oh, the church. Yeah. Being horrible in Latin America. And instead, I came across this like long article about liberation theology 
all over Latin America. And then that's how I learned about him. And of course, uh, Oscar Romero was there. Yeah. And this yeah. is like the person that I'm most familiar with mm-hmm. that practiced liberation theology. But he, even his time is then after. It's after, yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, what's his name again? Camilo Torres. Okay. So after Camilo Torres. So like, really, he probably would have learned about yeah. him. Yeah. But yeah, he is one of like the founding people of that ideology. Uh, so yeah, the Catholic Church did not agree with Camilo's social activism or collaborate, co- collaborating with the Marxists. So they ordered him to choose between his priestly duties and like these secular, what they call secular concerns. So Camilo chose to abandon his priesthood. Wow, that's a big step. I mean, he'd been doing this for his... He left becoming a lawyer to become yeah. a priest. And now he's choosing uh, his ideology, mm-hmm. I guess, over his... Job. I don't want to say priesthood, job, but <laughs> priesthood. Yes, thank you. So he abandoned his priesthood and he launched a new leftist coalition called the Frente Unido or the United Front. With the United Front, Camilo led a couple of peaceful marches where he and other members were arrested. Um, but the group disbanded because Camilo felt frustrated over the difficulty of implementing radical reform through peaceful means. So he gave up the legal struggle and decided to take up arms. In 1965, Camilo joined the Ejército de Liberación Nacional, the ELN, or like I mentioned in the top of the episode, the Army of National Liberation. Mm-hmm. In Colombia. Yes, yeah. Camilo justified leaving the priesthood to join the ELN by saying, the revolution is not only permitted, but obligatory. For Christians who see in it the only effective and ample way of realizing love for all. And that's actually a term like he came up with. It's part of liberation theology. What is it? It's in English the way I said it. Realizing love for all. But um, it has a word in in Spanish. And then, yeah, it's like a whole thing. And I really should have put it in here. But, you know, I was in a rush. But hold on. Let me pull it up. Okay, thanks. I want to know. And you know why? It's because I didn't find that till after, till the, I got almost to the end of my <laughs> oh. research. And I'm like, I don't have time. Okay. The concept is called Amor Eficaz. And it's um, something he wrote about as part of his liberation theology. And so it's a concept that I guess they say it's like mediated by love. And so what he's saying is that love cannot only be words. Basically, like... There's this comes from an interview where someone is explain explaining this concept. Mm, okay, the person says, in order to understand the idea of amor eficaz, it is important to understand that what he is talking about is the mater- materialization of rights. When Camilo proposes amor eficaz, it is not in the abstract. It is not the idea of oh how nice it is for all of us to love each other. What Camilo says is that love must be transformed into concrete action. And the concrete action must transform into rights. So basically, you can't say you love all people and deny them access to food and access to rights. That's what that concept means. Yeah, I mean, and yes, that's what we were saying all last episode, too. Yeah. And and again, another reason why I love so and I and I, I didn't know he existed, but why I love, I mean, Saint now, but uh, Saint Oscar Romero, because mm-hmm. He was about it. He wasn't just preaching. He was doing these things, you know, and that's I mean, I guess that's what it is. Liberation theology. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that quote that he said. 
And when Camilo left the United Front, he published the following in their newspaper. I have left the privileges and duties of the clergy, but I have not ceased to be a priest. I believe that I have given myself up to the revolution out of love of neighbor. I have stopped saying mass to realize this love of neighbor in the temporal, economic, and social fields. When my neighbor has nothing against me, when I have achieved the revolution, I will offer a mass again if God allows me to do so. I believe that in this way, I follow the command of Christ. And then the rest of the quote is that. Some Bible thing that I didn't write down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but basically, like, that's... uh, He's saying this is from the Bible. This is from straight up from Jesus. <laughs> yes. In the ELN, Camilo was a low-ranking member and he provided spiritual and ideological assistance from a Marxist Christian perspective. And then he helped out as a cook. And they said he was a great cook. <laughs> really? I love that. He was not the best guerrilla member because he had no experience with weapons or, yeah. um, you know, with the amount of training they did. But he was dedicated nonetheless. Amazing. Unfortunately, Camilo died in his first combat experience on February Aww. 15th, 1966. When I feel like they could have spared him combat, like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. He might have like wanted to. I don't know. You know, that's true. We don't know. Yeah, um, I might know because there's a biography out about him. So <laughs> oh, I, there's a couple is it in English. I, I saw one in English written in okay. the 1970s and then one okay. in Spanish, I think earlier than that. So I do want to find it and learn more about him. Okay. I do want to read this. Yeah, but I my guess is that he wanted to. Um, you're probably right. So, yeah, he he died on his first combat experience. After his death, the National Army hid his body and refused to disclose the location. Oh my god. Yeah. Camilo became a martyr for the movement and many young Catholics, nuns and priests joined the ELN, ushering a movement wow. of left-wing Christianity. Wow. And also, wow. there was a huge rise in people naming their sons Camilo after this. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's a it's a good name. No, I um, like that name. Yeah. yeah, one of the I considered it, but uh, it it was too close to Milo or Milo, which Mami also suggested, which I associated with dogs. I was like, that's like dog my dog. Name. Um, plus I met. I think I've seen on social media other people use that name, mm-hmm. and obviously there's like famous people with that name too. But um, I was I like, can't think no. of anyone. You know, I just, I feel like Sammy is the perfect name for Sammy, so. Yeah, I mean, you say that now. <laughs> Any name you would have named him, you would say the same thing, I think. <laughs> um, No, no. Yeah. You would have got used to it and you'd be like, this name fits him. What is no, the but thing? The, the moment mommy suggested it, I was like, that's probably the best one. Yeah, no, it's a good and name. Now, I'm not like dogging you or I'm anything. Like, I can't imagine another name, so. Yeah, because you've been calling him that his whole life. All right. I guess see what you're saying. You're right. Thank you. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But Camilo, I don't know. It's a cute name. It's a, it's a good name. Um, One of the articles I read, like the journalist was asking different people why they were named, like why their parents named them Camilo. And like one of the um, Camilos <laughs> said. One of the Camilos. Yeah. He's like, I guess my parents were kind of like leftists. So that was why. <laughs> Oh, okay. So he was named after him. Yeah, Yeah. he was. Beautiful. In 2016, the National Army, under orders of then-President Juan Manuel Santos, began searching for Camilo's remains as a 
gesture to accelerate peace talks with the ELN. Okay. But um, they exhumed like remains and they were not his. Um, oh. And the last thing I was able to find from 2020 said that his remains still haven't been found. Wow. 2020. Oh, my gosh. And I mean, yeah, it was only three years ago. So I don't think there's been a development in that. And today, Camilo's remembered mainly by this quote. If Jesus were alive today, he would be a guerrillero. Powerful. I got chills. Damn. And yeah, that is Camilo Torres Restrepo. The what I saw him often referred to as the cura guerrillero or the cura guerrillo. I don't remember which one it was, but yeah. Wow. I love that. I'm so glad that you brought this topic because I didn't know about him. I know. I am glad that I learned about it, too. But, you know, I every time I learn about someone like Oscar Romero or someone like Camilo or the sanctuary movement that we talked about last week, it because I'm very black and white when I <laughs> think about, Talk about Catholicism. Really, yeah. And we don't really get into personal things here because we talk about history. But, yeah. you know, a long time ago, I no longer believed in it for many, many reasons. Many of those being the uh, sexual abuse of children by the institution. I mean, it didn't help. Uh, it didn't help that we were in church and they asked for us to pray for the Archbishop of Stanislaus County or, or like Stockton the region or some shit. Stockton, yeah. yeah. Because someone had made false accusations, a child had made false accusations against him and uh, to support his legal fund. That instant right there i was like nah fuck that nope yeah <laughs> well how old are we like 14 15 around yeah uh and so yeah ever since then i really not vibed <laughs> same with the uh catholic yeah. institution yeah i think it's like now that we're talking about this stuff and that i've uh read more yeah that i'm like come to terms with like you know what i don't think I would find myself in church again, but I no longer I'm like, yeah, I can't believe or I'm not like, uh, what is that word? Like antagonistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't attack people for their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore. If someone wants to, um, yeah, believe in it, I'm not going to say anything anymore. And also I'm going to respect it. Yeah. And I, I think I've come to terms with like that. It's OK, um, because even in, I mean, I think I talk about this more in a spooky tales, but old beliefs the old ways became intertwined mm -hmm. with catholicism so that you could still practice those old beliefs without yeah. being caught so even though it is bad it's not all bad and to take and and you know some people need it and hold on to it and yeah it's important and so i don't want to trash on that anymore <laughs> no me either and i feel like talking about these things helps me understand that a little bit more and so finding the good stories yeah yeah and there's a lot of good like the church has done a lot of good for a lot of people yeah like we i mean like last week's topic today yeah. um and one day we're gonna do a full episode on oscar romero yeah but yeah it's not all bad so yeah i mean there's always nuance and nothing is black or white it's what i re am reminding myself about uh religion <laughs> yeah but yeah, that was today's episode. Do you have anything to add before we say our goodbyes? Uh, if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode, consider leaving a five-star rating on Spotify to bring up our rating. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but if you could please help us out. 
<laughs> I will tell you what I think happened is that um, the history of Bukele is our most listened to episode. <laughs> people are and finding that episode. people don't read the description because yeah. even in the description, we talk about some of the corrupt things, right, yeah. that he's done in the description. And some people assume that it's going to be good and it's not. <laughs> and then, bam, one star, one star, one star. They're so like, yeah, fuck I, these bitches. Who the fuck do they think they are? I mean, and obviously, you know, podcasts with two people talking to each other, interjecting, laughing. It's not for everyone. Yeah. But but the rating, the dip in ratings coincides with the spike in listens from that episode. <laughs> so that's why I think that's why I think it's related. Oh, uh, yeah. So please help us out uh, because we were brave. <laughs> we were. We tried. People get a lot of hate for being bukele haters you know and it's fine i do it again in fact i want to learn more about because in one of the videos i watched uh from daniel um and i always say his last name wrong so alvarenga it's alvarenga and i always say alvaranga or some shit like that um um he had a really good talk about um bukele and yes. all the issues with Bukele. And in that talk, he um, talked a little bit about Bukele being basically a Nepo baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we did say that he came. We mentioned yeah. in that episode who his family was. Yeah. And, but I he mean, mentioned yeah. a little bit more about his dad. And that's I wanted oh, to learn a little bit more about that. More. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we anyway. We should put um, his stuff in the show notes. They're really good. Yeah. Um, he, I think he's done like two or three now. Yeah of these Twitter spaces about um, politics and El Salvador and things like that. So, and even he took a break from talking about these things because he was getting like legit threats and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it is stressful. And, you know, it, of course we have not had nothing like that, but um, I mean, yeah, yeah, we've only been flooded with one star <laughs> ratings. So if you could uh, help combat that <laughs> with a five star, that, that would be cool. great. <laughs> even four, you know, anything. <laughs> A and three, one, <laughs> a three, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, and yeah, just uh, I don't know. Keep on, keep on estudiando. <laughs> That's not our phrase. <laughs> That's not our catchphrase. Keep on learning. Sigan learning. <laughs> Sigue learning. Yeah. No. It's remember I said. We hope this is one less historia unknown for you. <laughs> Okay, we'll go with that one. We're we're workshopping it. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna come back. We're gonna table it this for now. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna go back. We're gonna to circle the... back. Yeah, <laughs> we did listen to that. Sounds like a cold um, corporate. <laughs> yeah, episode. Yeah, that's why we're saying these phrases. But yeah, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Please give us a five star rating, nice little review on Apple Podcasts. Recommend us to your history loving friends. Follow us on the social medias and yeah. We're trying to post more um, reels, more videos about the stuff we talk about. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, Bye. everyone. <laughs>